is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. Swing and a drive! Deep left! Gone! That was as hard as a baseball can be hit. Swing and a base hit to left, and the White Sox win it! Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Good afternoon and welcome into White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight and you can give the gift of White Sox baseball with a holiday flex pack. Purchase six vouchers starting at $49 or upgrade to 10 vouchers starting at only $70. This upgrade offer is $100 off the regular price and only available through the holidays. Learn more at WhiteSox.com slash holiday packs we got a lot to get to here this afternoon obviously last week's show was well it was derailed a little bit white Sox weekly covers the biggest baseball news and when shohei otani signed in the middle of the show i guess he didn't put the pen to paper right in the middle of the show last week but he announced on instagram like smack dab in the middle of the show that he was signing a record-breaking 10-year 700 million dollar deal with the los angeles dodgers so we covered that a little bit There have been some moves the White Sox have made since then. In fact, right after we got done with the show, the White Sox and Braves agreed to a deal that sent catcher Max Stassi to the White Sox. We'll talk about Stassi in just a little bit. And the White Sox made it official, finally, with Eric Fetty, a new starting pitcher. He's the guy who won the Cy Young and MVP in the KBO last year in Korea, a starting pitcher. And we'll talk to Eric in just a couple of minutes here on the show, actually. Uh, he did a press conference with some reporters, uh, with the White Sox beat reporters earlier in the week. But we got him here on the show. So we figured, yeah, we, we, we put him on White Sox Weekly. After all, Fetty figures to be one of the top two, three guys in the White Sox rotation. He pitched magnificently in the KBO last year uh, and is expected to... You know, really take a whole lot of innings, a lot of starts, and and hopefully succeed. Uh, Maybe not to the 2 ERA that he had in the KBO. Who does? But Fetty's supposed to be a big-time part of this White Sox rotation, not just for this year, but hopefully for next year as well. We'll talk about, we'll talk to him uh, in just a little bit here on the show. Let's get uh, into some of the, the news of Max Stassi, the White Sox making that move. You know, the White Sox and Braves have been frequent trade partners here, or at least um, prolific trade partners. They've made two deals, or parts of two deals. Obviously, the first trade being the one that sent Aaron Bummer to the Braves and brought back five players, two guys who figured a fight for the starting rotation and Mike Soroka and Jared Schuster, and then a couple other guys along the way, Nicky Lopez in that deal as well. You knew that, though. Now, the news is out, and some details have been reported when it comes to Max Stassi, and we'll talk a bit about the player as well first, but here's the nuts and bolts. Stassi did not play last year. Some uh, some tough medical news for Stassi and his family, uh, and hopefully things are, well, you know, in the, pe- in the rearview mirror that everybody's happy and healthy, and he's able to have a full return to spring training. That is the expectation. Stassi was acquired by the White Sox from the Braves for cash considerations and a player to be named later. Both teams announced the deal. Uh, the Braves are expected to pay a majority of the $7 million salary that's owed to Stassi for the coming season. He'll be 33 in March. He was a Brave for all of one day. The Braves made a deal with the Angels that got them middle infielder David Fletcher from the Angels. Uh, so you figure, you know, this was kind of a 
The the Braves have been playing some really interesting roster games, not just with the five for one deal with Aaron Bummer, but they that included a couple of guys that were probably not going to be tendered, um, but were valuable to some other teams. I, I know that the Braves had a few people, you know, kind of checking around on Soroka and Schuster. Uh, to the to, just to name two of those guys, um, but anyway, what what the Braves are doing here is kind of rotating some things around and paying some money to free up some roster spots. The uh, according to the Associated Press, Stassi is um, or the Braves are paying down Stassi's deal to the league minimum. White Sox picking up uh, that league minimum contract. So you would figure. With Stassi's veteran status um, and a quality defensive catcher, came up, uh, was drafted with the A's, spent some time in Houston behind Brian McCann and Martin Maldonado, if you remember. That was back in like the mid-2010, 13, 14, 15, you know, that kind of era uh, with Max Stassi. Was actually a, a fairly well-regarded prospect. Um, they kind of struggled with the bat, but had a good defensive reputation. I'll walk you through some of his defensive numbers in just a little bit here. But the roster fit for the White Sox is clear. We've been talking you know, a, a lot about the kinds of players that the White Sox are acquiring here over the you know the first trade with the the, the Braves, uh, Eric Fetty, who we'll talk to in just a little bit, and now Max Stassi. You know, these are are in a lot of ways veterans who have a defensive reputation that are that can be trusted to handle the spot, but also can help shepherd some of the younger kids, some of the younger players the White Sox have that are close to, if not already major league ready into the major leagues. Now, that's not the perspective that you'd expect a guy like Stassi or Paul DeYoung or Nicky Lopez or Soroka or Schuster. None of those guys to necessarily have. It's their job to make sure that anybody who's coming after their roster spot has to absolutely earn it, right? I mean, that's that's the, the goal of any player is to make sure that their backup never gets a sniff by virtue of their quality of play. Now, that's that's not how things work out, and after all, injuries happen and all this other kind of stuff. So depth is a factor here too. But for Stassi, you would figure that you know going into his age thirty three season, you know not having played last year, um, and, and having the defense essentially be the calling card, he's a pretty decent framer. Um, we'll, we'll have to see. You know, you look at the baseball savant numbers, and obviously having not played in two thousand twenty three, you look around at some of the the blocks, the uh, the pop time, all that kind of stuff, and you. You're looking at numbers that aren't quite where Stassi had been in years prior. Um, so hopefully he's able to jump back toward, you know, kind of the, the upside of a defensive swing here. Now, what's what's also key is that the White Sox have a number of young catchers who can kind of, depending on how much more depth the White Sox may or may not add behind the plate, who can fight Stassi not just for a, a starting spot, but also for their own backup positions. And I would guess here, given the way the White Sox have filled out the roster so far and have, have picked up some players that you know kind of fit this billing, that whether it's Corey Lee or Carlos Perez or Adam Hackenberg on the defensive side, or maybe even some others, you know, other perhaps, you know, kind of upper level minor league depth or roster or non-roster invitees that the White Sox may add, is that this could be a defense first, almost platoon situation. I guess I should mention Stassi bats right uh, and throws right-handed. Not a lot of left-handed throwing catchers these days. I mean, if you've got a strong enough left-handed arm, 
to throw hard enough to get the ball down to second base to throw out a runner. Coaches are going to notice that usually and then move that left-handed arm to the mound and try and see if you can pitch. At least that's the story I've always gotten told on why there are not a whole lot of left-handed catchers. Not that there haven't been, uh, but just not a whole lot. So uh, Stassi, with a good defensive reputation, is you know just as likely to be kind of one half of a duo as, as anything else. Um, I'll be really interested to hear. We have not heard from Stassi to this point about you know, kind of his sense of, of where he sits on the roster and what he's able to, uh, or where he's at in his comeback um, from having sat out last season. One thing of note here, though, is that while the um, offensively, you know, there, there's not a lot of pop to Max Stassi's game. There's not a lot of offensive traction, really, to uh, to Stassi's game. But he, he does walk at a good degree. He will chase a lot. But his walk percentage was um, a, a little over 10 in 2022, which is a workable number when you're dealing with a defense for, at least I think, when you're dealing with a defense versus catcher. If you've got one skill that stands out as, you know, a little bit above league average defensively, I'm talking about the glove first guys, then you can live with that. Previously, the White Sox had been rumored in the Martin Maldonado situation. He's uh, apparently not going to resign with the Astros. Still good. We'll see. Uh, the Martin Maldonado situation. And, you know, that's a guy who, lives on defense first and a, and a, and a, a relationship with your, your starting pitching, with your entire pitching staff and being having the reputation of a great game caller and all that kind of stuff. But the one skill that Martin Maldonado has, more or less, he's got a little bit of pop. If it's down the middle, he could run into double-digit home runs over the course of a season. And for Stassi, it seems to be the kind of the calling card or the thing you can get a hold of. Is the walk percentage at 10.1 walk percentage, uh, 75th percentile on baseball savant in 2022, and and really, you know, when it comes to the offensive profile of this baseball team as it sits right now, you need, I still think, a lot more on base percentage with the addition of Paul DeYoung, who's a strikeout heavy guy, Nicky Lopez, who was on base through batting average uh, mostly. You know, you're you're still looking to add some of that on base percentage to to stay as competitive as you can. I and I say that part too because you look around and we'll talk about some of the moves that have been made by other teams in the division and moves that may still be made by other teams in the division. Well, who knows what the Cleveland Guardians are ended up doing are going to end up doing. You know, but the Royals have picked up Michael Waka, the Tigers have added Jack Flaherty, but lost Eduardo Rodriguez to the Diamondbacks. It was you know, I, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with the story or gone back through the time, but Eduardo Rodriguez signed that deal with the Diamondbacks, and then I think like less than 12 hours later, Shohei Otani signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So you know there it was in the NL West. You had all this kind of uh, Eduardo Rodriguez to the World Series to the NL pennant winners, um, and then no one cared because Shohei Otani signed his deal with the Dodgers, and that's going to be your NL West winner, or at least everybody thinks so, right? Um, just a, an incredible lineup out there. To say nothing of the fact that Otani apparently is going to play a little left field or try and play a little left field as he rehabs from what may or may not have been Tommy John or internal brace surgery. The the reporting on this is, well, I shouldn't say the reporting on Otani's elbow is weird, but the way his agent and he are kind of talking about it as this unprecedented surgery, it's if it's internal brace, it's internal brace, and that's not unprecedented. We've seen that before. That's We're in the weeds a little bit now because I get a little nerdy about elbow surgeries because they're such a big part of this game. All that to say, this division... Uh, still has yet to see, in my opinion, an off-season move 
that really separates any team from another. Now, the White Sox and Royals are unfortunately, were unfortunately the bottom two teams in the division last year, and they've got some catch-up to do to get in that conversation with the Tigers and Guardians and Twins. But even, you know, we saw it last year on the field in terms of wins and losses. There wasn't a whole lot separating, not a whole lot separating the Minnesota Twins and Cleveland Guardians and Detroit Tigers, in, in my estimation. And, you know, whether it's going to be a, a big rebound for Jack Flaherty with the Tigers, who I thought might have a chance to sign with the White Sox, but they got their man Eric Fetty, who we're going to talk to in just a little bit. It, it just would have made some sense narrative-wise, right? Flaherty was a high school teammate of Lucas Giolito, which means he had Ethan Katz as a pitching coach, which means, you know, Katz is certainly been able to um, bring out the best in some starting pitchers. You know, Giolito, uh, the rework that he and Katz were able to do before Katz was actually the pitching coach of the White Sox. Dylan Cease has credited Ethan Katz with a whole lot of his work. Carlos Rodon has credited Ethan Katz to a whole lot of his. And Ronaldo Lopez, too, has talked about it some. Um, but you know, at, at this point, you know, these these moves are, by the rest of the division, moves that keep you in the 83 to 88 win category, not moves that vault you up into the next tier of wins, that 88, 89, 90 kind of thing. And to that same, to the flip side of that coin, if you are in that 83 to 88 win bracket, right? We're talking about the, you know, the nerdy math, right? The win expectations, the, um, the, the preseason zips and, and Pakoda measurements and all this other kind of stuff. If you're in that bracket, that's not exactly where you're going to fall. You know, it could be a standard deviation. You could be five wins less than that. You could be five wins more than that. And if you're if you're within shooting range, I say shoot. And and I I would love to see this White Sox team as they put themselves together some. And there could be obviously one more domino to fall, and that may or may not be the, a trade of Dylan Cease here in the offseason. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. You you may have a team that can get themselves out to a decent start, play good defense, hit just enough, and maybe get themselves into a position where some of the young kids, whether it's Colson Montgomery or Brian Ramos or, or some others, are able to come up and not necessarily – you can't ask any kid, not, any, not even if you're a top prospect, if you're, a, uh, if you're an Adley Rutschman or a, guys who have done it even, asking them to come up and be the centerpiece of an offense is just too much. It can happen, but it's a whole lot to ask. But if you're if you're looking at some of those kids to come up and make contributions, you know, provide quality depth while decent starters work their way through a slump or what have you, then then you can get yourself into a good situation. And while you know there's a lot to be a lot to be asked for yet, to be to be honest, from this White Sox offense, given the moves that they've made, there are mainstays in Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert Jr. and Juan Moncada, who have been there before and, yes, have been the reason, as much as anything else, not playing up to the numbers that, that a lot of people, scouts and otherwise, had expected of him, are, are looking to get. But it is, as, as it stands right now, um, another ask that this White Sox organization is making of those top-tier players and hopefully is providing enough depth around them, defense first, that is going to shore up some of the mistakes and help the White Sox win more games on the margin uh, in 2024. A lot of offseason moves to yet be made, uh, but that's how it looks from here, and that's kind of how the Max Stassi move sets up from my perspective as well. We're going to take a quick break. Oh, and before we do... 
Sox fans, 2024 ticket plans are available now, so be here for the biggest matchups and exciting new promotions throughout the season, including opening day on March 28th. Our ticket plans include great benefits, such as a ticket exchange program, special events, savings on single games, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash 2024. When we come back, we're going to talk to White Sox starter Eric Fetty. The deal is signed. It's official. He joins White Sox Weekly on the other side of a commercial break on ESPN 1000. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White, White Sox, Sox Weekly. ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight, and joining me is Eric Fetty, one of the newest White Sox signed to a contract to uh, be in the starting rotation after pitching a year in the Korean baseball organization. Eric, thank you so much for the time, and and first and foremost, man, congratulations on, on becoming a White Sox. Looking forward to seeing you pitch down in spring training, coming around sooner rather than later. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm super excited to be part of the organization and, uh, yeah, excited for this upcoming year to see uh, you know, how everything turns out. So a lot of White Sox fans have been really glued into your story here over the last two, three seasons. Uh, a, a top draft pick by the Washington Nationals, went to Korea, um, won every award a pitcher can in the KBO last year. I know you've talked some about the the reasons you were able to have such success in Korea last season, but can you kind of walk us through, you know, kind of the parts that made you, uh, you know, just a, an absolute ace last year for, for NC or for, for the dinos? Yeah. I mean, um, like I've kind of explained before, it kind of really started in the off season. Um, you know, I became a free agent and at that very moment was uh, trying to put together something where, you know, I could, possibly get back to the big leagues or whatnot, but it just didn't seem to work out that way and was offered a great chance in Korea. So, um, yeah, it was just kind of, um, I guess, reshaping who I was and um, making an adjustment to the things I struggled with. So um, in the big leagues, you know, I just really didn't feel like I had a true swing and miss pitch. So that was like my main goal for the off season. And uh, yeah, went went out to Arizona to a pitching lab and kind of uh, built my sweeper and, uh, that was probably the the main key to success. Also, really developed a changeup to add to my my cutter and sinker. And uh, yeah, I mean that just really kind of gave me a four pitch mix to really attack hitters. And I think uh, they just you know I was just ready for them when the time came in Korea. Well, who who were the who was the group that kind of helped move you that way? I, I, obviously, it's you know it's got to be difficult at some degree to change who you are as a pitcher, considering that did, after all, get you drafted where you were, get you to the bigs. Um, what was the process like leading up to that offseason where things, you know, you decided needed change? Yeah, um, I think in that last season with the Nationals, uh, you know, things weren't going well again for another year. And, um, you know, I wasn't feeling very healthy in that year, um, just kind of like having continuous shoulder problems and, just um you know it's hard enough to pitch in the big big leagues as is let alone uh when you're not feeling great and um i think it was yeah finally like looking myself in the mirror and being like 
maybe what you were doing in college to get you drafted and through the minors uh, was enough, but like at this point it's not. And I just didn't want to be complacent with being, you know, a below average pitcher or someone that didn't have success in the big league. So it was just kind of accepting that and uh, started asking around uh, some of the guys that had been going to facilities and, Actually, the main guy was uh, Sean Doolittle. I kind of picked his brain. He's the one who picked, uh, or he had been working out of the place in Arizona. So uh, just kind of decided I was going to sell out for it. Sold my house in Vegas, moved to Arizona, and went all out for it and just tried to, you know, commit to, you know, baseball being my life and fixing it to be the best I could. Who was part of the crew that you talked through going to Korea? Because that's not, I mean, that's a big jump, man, from Vegas to Korea. That's a long way away. Yeah. um, I mean, that was, uh, I mean, started with my agency in the sense of uh, they're like, hey, we have a lot of options for you, I guess, to maybe play uh, on split deals or go to AAA. But, um, you know, talking with Boris, he actually told me specifically, he's like, you know, if we go to Korea, we know you're going to get the ball every fifth day. You're going to have a chance to throw 175-plus innings and prove you can do that, um, a chance to be the workhorse and, you know, really, you know, hone in on what you've been trying to grow as a pitcher. And um, that was something that, I, you know, I, I took to heart and um, was just willing to take the risk. And then I, of course, talked to some previous players that had played over there, um, Nick Kingham, uh, he's a Vegas guy, knew him. He had played over there, uh, talked to Plutko, who uh, was actually playing there in Korea at the time. And those guys kind of just really had good things to say and that it's a great place to to be. Talking with Eric Fetty, newest member of the White Sox rotation here on White Sox Weekly. Before we get back to the, the baseball part of things, I'm curious, man, how much did you know about Korean cuisine and what did you go for over there? Like if you had to... You know, you come back here into Chicago, and somebody's like, "Hey, Eric, let's go to a Korean spot. What are you What are you picking off the order sheet? What are you picking off the menu?" Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't know a lot going in, but uh, learned very quickly. Um, yeah, I mean, we got to go find a good Korean place. Uh, like bar- Korean barbecue is probably the most popular here, especially in the states. Um, and we're gonna find some. Um, Probably some uh, some ribs. They, I mean, they're like um, I'm trying to, to explain it. Like some uh, some dressed up ribs that you cook right there in front of you. That's uh, probably my favorite thing that I had. They're um, really good pork as well. But yeah, I mean, Korean barbecue is the best. Um, they have a ton there. I think it might be a little more Chinese influence, but it's called shabu shabu, and it's like a uh, hot pot where you put your broth in and cook oh, your yeah. meat right right there in there and uh mix in some vegetables and that became honestly my, my go-to had a spot right next to my apartment in korea and visited it quite often because you you gotta be comfy we darren jackson is our, our analyst on the radio side and he spent two years playing in japan in the 90s and he talks all the time about how important it was just to kind of have your you know, even even if it is kind of entrenched in the culture of where you are, you have to have that comfort level in order to feel comfortable kind of once you're at the ballpark and doing your thing, right? Oh, 100%. Um, they were the, – the great thing about NC is they do every player having their own personal translator where some other teams may split uh, one translator for multiple players. Mm. But uh, my translator, uh, Justin, he was – 
amazing. I mean, he made my life so easy moving in. They do a great job, too. They have three apartments set up for the three foreign players, and you can move right in and have no worry about being stressed where you're going to live and walking distance to the field, which is great. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they do a good job of trying to make it feel normal. And uh, we had spring training actually in Tucson, so got to meet all the guys um, in person, I guess, in America. So kind of eased my way into that. Um, but, yeah, so I could get to know them and make friends. But, I mean, definitely they made it comfortable. They, you know, help uh, put in your contract. They get you some flights to bring family out to visit and, uh, you know, family and Comfortability definitely is important with playing well. I have to imagine that, that having gone to Korea or making that decision, right? So, like, before you show up, before you throw pitch number one, you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to make it back to the big leagues, and this is going to be part of how. Did you imagine that it could be I, – I, I hesitate to say smooth because you had to do the work, right? I mean, you had to reinvent yourself and become this guy, but did you imagine it could be kind of like this one year uh, – a big time, you know, a big time season, an award, and everything, and then right back to the bigs. Um, I mean, I guess it's what you dream of. Does it seem realistic? Maybe not. I think it was one of those things where, yeah, we're like hoping, you know, go there and accomplish all these goals and get back to the big leagues. Will it go that smoothly? You never know. But it just kind of like one month at a time was going down, and just kind of like, wow, is this like really happening? It's not like, like you said, everything just felt like crazy smooth and um yeah i mean to look back on it and to think before i threw pitch one if you told me you know you could win the league mvp and their version of the cy young and you know everything like that it would have probably been like hard to believe for sure you're coming to a team that has really kind of redefined its focus on defense specifically up the middle and in the infield you're a guy that's thrown to ground balls really your, your whole career. Strikeout rates ticked up, obviously, here over the last well, in, in your season in Korea. But how big a factor was kind of that commitment to defense, knowing the kind of pitcher you are, the kind of contact that you're trying to get? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's uh, you know what every guy dreams of when you know they step on the mound is that they can look behind them and have so much confidence to go after the hitters in the zone and know. Uh, you know, everyone's going to pick you, pick you up behind you. I mean, that's for sure a great thing. Um, so it looks like they're signing, you know, quality defensive catchers as well. And, uh, I mean, there's also some superstars out there in the outfield that I look forward to uh, chasing down any balls that, you know, get up in the air. Yeah, if anything's hit anywhere near Luis Robert Jr., you don't have to worry about it. You can just ask for the next baseball, you're good to go, you got the next hitter. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely seen some highlights. I mean, he's he's a superstar for sure, and yeah, I'm I'm very excited to watch him roam center field. You've talked a little bit about the conversation that you had with with Chris Getz and with Pedro Grifol after having signed. You were you were sought after. I mean, I don't, I don't know how well you follow Twitter or anything like that. Probably better if you don't. But you know, the the rumors had you in in two or three different places and well sought after, and it's. Gotta, I imagine, feel good to be to be wanted that way, and to kind of have a team win a sweepstakes for you. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. I mean, it's it's a special feeling, and um, you know that was the hope with uh, you know with the season I had. And but yeah, to I mean to feel that way, and then for when someone you know eventually you know come to agreement with an offer, and then to get to be on the phone with them and hear how excited they are, it makes you just feel so special, and makes you feel like 
man, I definitely picked the right place to be and, um, you know, hopefully be, you know, a big part of this team and hopefully the future success. Pedro has talked a lot about wanting guys that attack the strike zone. I, I know that's been part of your game plan in Korea this last year, and I, I think coming up through because you don't get ground balls without throwing strikes. Um, but what is your what is your kind of philosophy when it comes to attack versus try and get swing and miss um, versus you know kind of knowing pitchers or, or rather hitters that you do have to nibble against? How do you sort through that um, in a pregame setup going into a start? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely game planning a lineup and kind of picking, um, you know, where the guys that, you know, can do the most damage are. And But I think it has still – hitting's tough, and you always have to remember that. And I try to always remind myself that. But, um, you know, get these guys and, you know, 0-1, 0-2 counts um, puts the pressure on them. And, you know, uh, with that is something I try to focus on. And at other times in my career, maybe tried too many times to get swings and misses. And then put myself back into a you know two two three two count. So you know it's taking my shots when when I see uh, the right times. But you know I try to pride myself on you know also pitching hard inside and uh, trying to make guys uncomfortable. I think you know that's where a lot of the ground balls come from. What have you uh, What have you thought about the pitch clock? I don't know. I I should have asked. I should have done the research before this. This is on me, Eric. I apologize. Does the Korean baseball do they have a pitch clock? Will this be your first time working with one? How does that feel? Yeah, I've actually somehow managed to avoid the pitch clock at all costs with the minor leagues and uh, Korea and my time in the big leagues. So this will be my first time. I like to think I work pretty quick, and um, I've had lots of teammates and defenders behind me say that I do work quick, and they like that. So I'm not really too stressed about it, but Korea does not have it. I know they're they're adding a lot of rules that MLB had in their next season. I know they're adding they're taking away the shifts. And they're adding like a a different type of pitch clock, maybe not the exact one that they have. And um, so they're they're making the adjustments to keep up with the MLB game. Um, but yeah, I just happened to to miss it about every stop I've been at. Are you are you into some of the rule changes? Do you like kind of where baseball has gone with the the runner on second and extras and you know a pitch clock and all that other kind of stuff? I know a lot of fans have you know they've really hopped on board to a large degree, but there are some places. Either, for instance, I I don't like the runner on second rule in extras. It's just it's not my cup of tea. I get it. I understand why we do it, um, but aesthetically, it's just it's not my thing. I don't know if you if you're any place like that on any of these new rules. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like personally, I, I felt a little pushback maybe on the pitch clock yeah. just because I feel like some people hadn't understood what it's like to maybe be in a two-two count with a you know, a guy like Mike Trout or something up at the plate, and maybe you need a couple extra seconds. But I think after watching the game uh, this last season, it actually moved pretty smoothly. And I think, you know, keeping the, the time of games down is something that is definitely positive for the fans and, and the players. But, um, you know, the shifts are, you know, it is what it is on that one. Uh, you know, they're trying to push offense as well. But uh, it seems like, everyone was stealing bases and with madness this last year. So I don't know if fans like that, that's definitely tougher on the pitcher, but yeah, I um, definitely understand the one at second. It just doesn't sometimes feel like baseball, but also um, as someone that's been in the bullpen at times in my life, uh, 
I'm sure there's lots of guys there that are, are thankful that pushes the game along. I guess that's the other rules question to ask. I mean, you're you're going to be responsible for holding runners, obviously, you and your battery mate, your catcher. There are more stolen base. I mean, you said it, man. People were running like it was like it was a green light the entire game. How how is your hold a runner game? You know, where are you at on that, and how will you work with uh, with with Pedro and everybody else about you know keeping guys from taking that extra ninety feet? Yeah, um, maybe something that wasn't my strongest suit prior in my career, but getting to Korea, they uh, they play small ball and they play aggressive. So um, it was something I had to learn very quickly there because when they get people on, they're they're moving whether it's hit and run, bunt, steals. Um, so yeah, I. In the sense of that, I had to force myself to get better at it this year, and I think I, I grew a lot as a pitcher in that sense. So, uh, but it's definitely important. I mean, somebody getting on second base and immediately in scoring position is not good for not good for me. So, um, you know, I'm going to try to take a lot of pride in you know holding runners and mixing my timing and uh, not making it easy on them. Are you going to be one of the early guys to spring training? Uh, I live in Arizona, so um, it's going to be a lot easier for me to get in there. And uh, yeah, you won't be you know, late. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll definitely be there once uh, some guys get in there. Especially, I want to meet people and uh, you know, be in a new face and just kind of get to know everyone and uh, do the best I can to to get involved early and often. Eric, really appreciate the time, man. Congratulations on the deal and really looking forward to watching your first start in spring training with the White Sox. Congrats again and thanks. Thanks. I'm excited as well. I uh, look forward to meeting you and uh, seeing all the fans out there. Eric Fetty, new White Sox starting pitcher here on White Sox Weekly. We'll be back with more in just a bit on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports is the home of the Chicago White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Welcome back into White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Stay out of the elements in 2024. Located on the 200 level behind home plate, the Guaranteed Rate Club offers all-inclusive food and beverage, in-seat service, and complimentary parking. Plans start at 20 games. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash GRC or call or text 312-674-1000. A big thanks to Eric Fetty for hopping on the show. New White Sox starting pitcher, the uh, MVP and Cy Young winner in the KBO last year, the Korean Baseball Organization. Um, he's a big signing for this ball club. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about the interview just a, a bit in case you in case you missed it or you're just tuning in or you tuned in halfway through, you can download the ESPN Chicago app uh, and re-listen to the show or listen to it for the first time or send it to a friend or whatever. Send it to Eric Fetty if you know him. Uh, maybe he wants to have the interview. He's a good talker. I look forward to seeing Fetty pitch uh, for the first time in spring training and then eventually through. I wasn't lying when I told him that. You know, that what's really interesting to me is that this is – and we talked about this some when, when the White Sox were reportedly going to sign Fetty. Uh, Josh Lindblom, Merrill Kelly, Chris Flexen, each of those guys have gone to the KBO in years past and signed big league deals after finding some success, and in uh, Fetty's case, obviously, some big-time success in one year in the KBO. What I was interested to find out, and this was from uh, MLB Trade Rumors right up on uh, Eric Fetty just a little while ago, 
Fetty's the first of Lindblom, Kelly, and Flexen, the pitchers returning from KBO, to uh, to sign for more than ten million dollars uh, total. It's seven and a half average annual value for the two year deal for Fetty. But to get that kind of money is is cool. And I also think, and again, we talked about this a little bit before, but I think it's worth noting. There were more than a couple teams interested in Fetty's bounce back, right, in bringing him back to the big leagues and, and making him a starting pitcher in doing so. And he's pitched out of the bullpen before, and I guess having that flexibility is more important than not, or more, it's better than not having that flexibility. But this this is a... This is a starting rotation that's that's dying for innings at this point. You know, while they've picked up some interesting names in Soroka and Jared Schuster and now Fetty, there's a will they or won't they with Dylan Cease still going on. And even with Cease in the rotation, you know, you pencil in those 32, 33 starts from Dylan, there are still a lot of innings to pick up. Michael Kopech and Jesse Schultens and Tuki Toussaint are the other guys that are major league ready, uh, along with Soroka and Schuster. I mentioned them earlier, the guys they picked up from the Braves in that deal for Aaron Bummer, that are going to you know compete for, for innings. Um, Kopech, in, in a lot of ways, and this is kind of alarming, I think, in terms of the rotation, Kopech, in a lot of ways, is the guy that's been able to haul the mail the most of those names in terms of just, you know, innings pitched. And Kopech has had some injuries here that he's, you know, whether it's the shoulder or the knee that apparently has been cleaned up. Um, Soroka pitching just something like 70 innings last year before some elbow tenderness flared up on him in a push to get back to the bigs after the double Achilles tear. Uh, Schuster, who's a, a young kid, bounced up and down some. I guess in terms of total innings, he's got a decent number. Schulten's made his major league debut last year and worked some out of the rotation and some out of the pan. And Tuki Toussaint has been a bit of a journeyman as well. And when you look at both Schulten's and Toussaint, who pitched you know admirably at times last season, there's definitely a question. And the question of of how they get to five innings is different for Schulten's and Toussaint. Uh, but there is a question of whether or not those guys are capable of going five on a regular basis, getting into the sixth inning, all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, I, I get that the direction of this team has seemingly altered some for 24, but I'd still love to see as much competitive baseball as possible. And early on, that's really important with a team that is kind of rebuilding itself, retooling itself, revamping, retrenching, whatever. Uh, the, a team that is kind of refining itself, you, you'd like to get some wins early, right? I mean, you'd, you'd like to be in some competitive games early. One of the things that really took the wind out of the White Sox sails last year was an early double-digit losing streak, and, and there was an inability to kind of rebound from that in a lot of different ways. But, you know, getting a, a rotation that can... And listen, injuries are going to pop up. I'm not necessarily saying you can have, you know, you, you've got to bank on a healthy rotation or anything like that, but getting depth is going to be important you got to have starters that can get you some relatively deep starts even early in a year. Um, you know, you take the weather out of the equation, you know, with, whether you're playing in Chicago or traveling around or getting some indoor games or what have you, you, you cannot ask a bullpen. And that's another thing that we'll talk about probably next week, that, that kind of where the bullpen sits, how it looks. Um, because if we're talking about whether or not the White Sox can be in a competitive spot, just a competitive spot against the rest of the AL Central, so much of that is going to hinge on pitching. And while over the last couple of years the offense 
has been, you know, a, a search for the White Sox with some big names. Uh, a lot of those have gone. Uh, a lot of those pitchers, though, that you could depend on for, if nothing else, innings. I'm thinking about Lance Lynn and, you know, who knows about Dylan Cease. And, I mean, you know, the, the guys in the back of the bullpen that have since moved on, too. You could rely on them to go. I don't, if, if the White Sox are going to lean on a rather young bullpen, and more on that in just a second, then you've got to have starters that are able to hold up their end of the deal, at least to the tune of five and six and maybe even six plus um, a handful of times in the first month, month and a half of the season. Uh, Mention the bullpen. White Sox did make two roster moves. Just, just, yeah, just something to check the box and make sure we talked about it a little bit. They did in order to make some room here for their latest moves. Edgar Navarro was outrighted. He pitched a little bit at the end of last season. Uh, he made room for uh, Max Stassi when the catcher was picked up from the Braves. And then it, just in terms of the uh, the transaction uh, timeline, Eric Fetty's signing happened after Stasi, even though it was reported much earlier. So right-hander Johan Ramirez was designated for assignment to clear room off the 40-man roster. You remember Ramirez. He pitched in a couple of games for the White Sox. He pitched for the Pirates last year. Uh, he threw, a lot for, or threw for a lot of different teams, the Mariners, the Guardians, the Pirates, and now the White Sox. Um, actually you know, worked out, okay, pitched some okay innings, but got hit around a little bit too. It was his final option last year, so uh, he will be exposed to waivers before uh, the White Sox get a chance to retain him. So he'll have to uh, either figure out, the Sox will either have to figure out a trade of Johan Ramirez or pass him through waivers. I could see Ramirez, even though he is 29 years old, garnering some interest um, from some other teams given the liveliness of the fastball and the ability to keep the ball on the ground. 45% of uh, balls in play for Ramirez on the ground. The walk rate is the issue there for Johan Ramirez. Anyway, those are just kind of the transactions the White Sox made over the last couple of days, and we keep you up to date here on White Sox Weekly. When we come back, we'll close things up, touch on some big league-wide headlines as well. I'm Connor McKnight on ESPN 1000. White Sox Weekly with Connor McKnight on the home of the White Sox. ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. Closing things up here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. Our last couple of minutes here before next week's show. Uh, just a real big quick thanks to Eric Fetty for joining us here this afternoon. You can download the show and listen to the interview in case you missed it. You should also know that you can give the gift of White Sox baseball with a holiday flex pack. Starting at just $49, get six ticket vouchers, redeemable for more than 60 games throughout the 2024 season, plus get early access to opening day tickets. Learn more at WhiteSox.com slash Holiday Packs. So I wanted to get to a, a national headline or two. Last week during the show, Shohei Otani announced on Instagram that he was going to sign with the Dodgers. And that, if that's not like one of the most 2023 things I've ever said, I don't know what is. Um, there have been some other moves for sure. The Tyler Glasnow deal, he's headed to the Dodgers. So is Manuel Margot. Uh, I guess that's yet to be completely wrapped up, but it sounds like Glasnow is going to sign a five-year extension with the Dodgers. So we, I would think, continue to wait on exactly how and where and why the White Sox want to position themselves for a potential Dylan Cease trade. The Dodgers had been reportedly checking in on Cease. 
What's interesting here is that Glassnow is going to get, I guess, a five-year, $135 million contract. And this plays into something that Otani had, well, created a lot of headlines about. I'm sure you've seen by now that Otani's 10-year and $700 million contract contained deferred money. In fact, we, we speculate. I speculated about that during the show uh, yes, last week when we, the news was breaking. No one could have predicted just how much money he deferred. $68 million, I mean, the guy is deferring the almost the entirety of the contract. He's going to make $2 million a year. The CBT tax number for the Dodgers, yes, we do that sort of stuff here on the show, is going to be $46 million. No, I'm not going to tell you how they get there because I'm not allowed to do math on the show. However, the reason that we're told, we're told the reason that Otani wanted to do this is so that the Dodgers could remain competitive while making him an incredibly wealthy man. So I guess good on him. Glass now is, you know, by fitting this five year, $135 million deal onto their payroll, Glass now is, is, I don't know, exhibit one, exhibit A for Otani being able to, uh, being willing to work a deal like that and the Dodgers being willing to, to play ball. I guess a lot of teams were willing to defer a whole lot of money. You read reports, sounds like the Giants were offering something like that. Probably not the Angels, but, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. So there you go. We had wondered whether or not, um, Dylan Cease was was going to be still desired by the Dodgers. And, and the reason why is because he's got two years left control, probably about $25 million left between those two years. Glassnow was worth $25 million for just this year. So the Dodgers found their guy worthy of a contract extension, they think, and went with that. Finances be damned. You know, I, I guess they're they're all set and ready to go for that kind of payroll. Now, what I do think is interesting here is obviously you've, you've heard of Yoshinobu Yamamoto and him being the top free agent starting pitcher at this point with Otani signed and obviously Otani's in a class all his own, a class very different as well. If Yamamoto signs, you would expect with, with a team that's willing to play some big time ball, whether that's, I don't know, the Giants or the Mets or I, something like that. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all, and we talked about this a little bit already, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Dylan Cease still coveted by two teams carrying lower payrolls uh, and wanting to push in and contend. And that'd be the Cincinnati Reds and Baltimore Orioles. And I, as much as anything else, just kind of as a baseball fan, I'm ready for the Orioles to push in and compete. I don't want to see Dylan Cease go anywhere. I'd love to watch. 32 starts and maybe call one or two of Dylan Cease next year. He's one of my favorite guys to watch pitch, especially in 2022. And even so last year, uh, even with the struggles, I'd love for the White Sox to give Dylan Cease a chance to bounce back, pitch some dominant ball, and then make a run of things in 2025. I'm about winning games. I want to see as many of those 162 in the left-hand column and and as few as you can in the right hand. I think Dylan Cease helps you win more ball games on your club than not. However, if if Chris Getz you know makes the decision that the White Sox are going to be better off in the short term or in, in the long term by trading Dylan Cease in the short term, then I could think of two. I could not think of two better teams to make that move from a finance standpoint and a talent standpoint than the Cincinnati Reds and Baltimore Orioles. There could be some others kicking down the door, and hopefully so. 
at least in terms of a trade return. Uh, but that's right there for you. Max Scherzer, I guess, has had back surgery. He's going to be out for the Rangers until midseason. So they need starting pitching. Um, they've kind of stepped back from their from from the payroll that they've stepped themselves into with the big signings over the last couple of years. Uh, but Scherzer's got a big number attached to him, so you would wonder if looking for some starting pitching on their side of things might need to be a little bit more economical, and perhaps Dylan Cease fits that part of things as well. Just kind of some speculation here as we get closer and closer. Although, you know, obviously John Heyman and others have reported that the the White Sox have pulled back some on those conversations. That's the latest. That's what we've got for you. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Big thanks to Eric Fetty for joining the show. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next Saturday on White Sox Weekly. It's ESPN 1000.